Section 3 of Louis Pasteur by Albert Keim and Louis Lumet, translated by Frederick Tabor Cooper. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Pamela Nagami. Chapter 2, A Laborious and Enthusiastic Youth, Part 2. These austere labors, this life of the laboratory which kept his mind constantly occupied and concentrated on problems difficult of solution, nevertheless in no wise isolated him from the vital interests of the French nation. In common with all other young students, he had thrilled at the proclamation of the Republic in 1848, and it was with enthusiasm that he greeted the words, Liberty, Equality, Fraternity. Light of purse though he was, our young savant gave to his country his entire savings, 150 francs and he was delighted to serve in the National Guard. It was a duty which he joyfully performed on behalf of his native land, for under all circumstances Pasteur was a man who did his duty. A cruel bereavement was destined shortly afterwards to interrupt his activities during several months. His mother died suddenly in May 1848, and it is easy to conceive how keen his grief was, since we know what a profound affection he cherished for his family, which equally with science held first place in his thoughts. For long weeks he found himself incapable of accomplishing any work, yet nevertheless he continued the course of his studies, so keen was his passion for scientific research. Meanwhile, his communications to the Academy of Science had attracted the attention of the learned world to his work. Its full value and originality was recognized, and the highest expectations were held regarding his further researches. Pasteur, who in a vague way was already conscious of his genius, regarded them as no more than a schoolboy's clever essays, but in his study of the tartrates and paratartrates, he was destined to distinguish himself in a marvelous manner. Without entering into a minute explanation of these questions, it should be understood that Mitscherlich, who had made some remarkable experiments with crystals, had proved that tartrates and paratartrates were the same identical salts, excepting that the former acted upon polarized light and possessed a rotatory power while the latter remained without action. It is at this precise point that we are forced to admire the inspired intuition of Pasteur, who, starting from a preconceived idea, proved experimentally that it was correct. Why was there this difference, he asked himself, between salts which appeared to be identical? Undoubtedly, it was due to a difference in their composition, which had an influence upon their external aspect, a difference which had not yet been observed. And this difference he discovered by a searching examination of these crystals. The tartrates had one hemihedric facet where Manchot, one-armed to borrow Monsieur Duclos' vivid simile, while the paratartrates obeyed the law of symmetry in regard to their facets. The rotatory power was directly related to the dissymmetry of the molecular structure. This first discovery was followed by a second, which was in a way a consequence of it, 
and which revolutionized all the hitherto acquired knowledge of molecular composition. Pasteur resolved to find out why the paratartrates did not deflect light. He analyzed them anew at great length, and he perceived that the double paratartrates of sodium and ammonia, like those of sodium and potassium, had hemihedric crystals, but that the ones were left-handed and the others right-handed. This seemed to contradict his first discovery, and it was at this point in his labors that his decisive experiment took place. In spite of much that was unexpected in this result, he said, I nonetheless continued to follow up my idea. I carefully separated out the right-hand hemihedric crystals and the left-hand hemihedric crystals, and I observed separately the effect of their solutions in the polarizing apparatus. I then saw, with no less surprise than delight, that the right-hand hemihedric crystals deflected the plane of polarization to the right, and the left-hand hemihedric crystals deflected to the left, and when I took an equal weight of each kind of these crystals, the mixed solution was neutral in its effect on polarized light, through the neutralization of the two individual deflections that were equal and in opposite directions. Researches in Molecular Dissymmetry, Lecture Delivered Before the Société Chimique de Paris, 1869, page 29. In the presence of this confirmation, which fulfilled his highest hopes, Pasteur was seized with such emotion that he was forced to leave his library on a run and flung his arms around the first of his colleagues whom he met in his keen joy over his essential discovery. He broke the news to Billot, who for long years had been studying the rotary power of crystals, by notifying him that he was ready to communicate the results of his experiments. The aged scientist and member of the Institute accepted his young colleague's offer, and the scene which took place between them was one of real beauty. It was admirably recorded by Monsieur Valéry Radot. The meeting took place at the Collège de France, where Biot lived. Every slightest detail of that interview must have remained fixed forever in Pasteur's memory. Biot began by going in search of a paratartaric acid. I have studied it, he said, with particular care. It is perfectly neutral in relation to polarized light. A tinge of mistrust was visible in his gestures and betrayed itself in the tone of his voice. I will bring you everything you need, continued the old man as he went in quest of the required quantities of soda and ammonia. He desired that the double salt should be prepared in his presence. After pouring the liquid obtained into the crystallizer, Bio took it and set it aside in one corner of his apartment in order to be quite sure that no one would touch it. I will notify you when you are to come back, he said to Pasteur as he ushered him out. Forty-eight hours later, the crystals, very small at first, began to take form. When there appeared to be sufficient quantity of them, Pasteur was summoned. Still in the presence of Bio, Pasteur drew out the finest crystals one by one and wiped them in order to remove the mother liquid adhering to them, then pointed out to Bio the opposition of their hemihedric character, 
and separated them into two groups, right crystals and left crystals. You claim, said Bio, that the crystals placed on your right will deflect the plane of polarization to the right, and that the crystals placed on your left will deflect it to the left. Yes, replied Pasteur. Very well, I will attend to the rest. Biot prepared the solutions and once again sent for Pasteur. Biot began by placing in the apparatus the solution which was supposed to deflect to the left. When the deflection was verified, he took Pasteur by the arm and uttered the phrase which has so often been cited and which deserves to become famous. My dear boy, I have loved science so dearly all my life that this sets my heart beating. As a matter of fact, Pasteur afterwards said in recalling this interview, it was evident that the most vivid light had been thrown upon the cause of the phenomenon of rotary polarization and on the hemihedrism of crystals, that a new class of isomeric substances had been discovered, that the unexpected and hitherto unexampled formation of racemic or paratartaric acid had been unveiled, in a word, that a great path, new and unforeseen, had been opened to science, la vie de Pasteur. The encouragements of his masters, Ballard and Biot, their praises and the certainty that he would not be obliged to interrupt the sequence of his discoveries, kept him in a state of feverish activity. But at the end of 1848 he was obliged to leave the laboratory in spite of the intervention of his protectors and betake himself to the lycée at Dijon, to which he had been appointed professor of physics. It was not without regret that he abandoned his experimental courses and his researches, for he felt that his personal labors were of more use to science than any instruction that he might give. Nevertheless, he submitted to the order of the Minister of Instruction, and from the moment that he was installed, applied himself to a conscientious fulfillment of the duties of his new function. He proved himself to be a methodical and painstaking professor, seeking above all things to be clear in expounding the science that he taught, and far from priding himself on the superiority of his own intelligence, he spent long hours in preparing his lectures in order to make them easily comprehensible to his young students. Nevertheless, in spite of his faithful performance of his duties as a public instructor, he was not without regret for the days that he must spend outside of the laboratory. This inactivity in regard to his personal researches weighed so heavily upon him that he asked to be transferred some months after his arrival at Dijon, and upon being appointed to the faculty of Strasbourg as substitute professor of chemistry, was able to take possession of his new office on the 15th of January, 1849, and to continue his researches in spite of the scanty equipment that he had at his disposal. An event of great importance in the life of Pasteur awaited him at Strasbourg, and one which was destined to have a most fortunate influence upon his whole career as a scientist, for it was here that he was soon to find domestic happiness. From his very first visit to the president of the faculty, Monsieur Laurent, he conceived a strong partiality for one of the daughters, Mademoiselle Marie Laurent. With that provision which was characteristic of him, he was straightway convinced 
that this young lady was the one essential to his hearth and home, and having once made up his mind, he acted with his customary prompt decision and asked her hand in marriage. Between his arrival in Strasbourg and his request, less than fifteen days had intervened. Monsieur Laurent, to whom he presented a short note setting forth with admirable sincerity his financial status, his position in the university, and his ambitions, accepted him as son-in-law. This was a day to be marked with a white stone, for Madame Pasteur, down to the last day of her husband's life, never ceased to surround him with the tenderest and most devoted care, to watch over his hours of toil and his hours of rest, and to keep him in such a state that he could employ his genius to the full extent of its powers. Louis Pasteur remained on the faculty of Strasbourg until 1854 and was appointed titular professor of chemistry in 1852. This whole period is marked by numerous researches which form the natural sequence of those that he undertook in crystallography, but which extend far beyond that science, thanks to the new perceptions that he brought to them and the consequences which naturally developed from them. From this same aspect of dissymmetry and hemihedrism, he studied the aspartates and the malates, shed light upon obscure questions which no chemist before had successfully handled, established the laws of molecular dissymmetry, and took up and solved the problem of dissymmetry in cellular life. Pasteur continued to address memoranda to the Academy of Sciences, and the learned world began to be stirred by these communications which proved him to be an investigator endowed with genius. The most celebrated members of the Institute followed his progress with sympathetic interest. Men such as Dumas, whom, as a young student, he could not hear lecture at the Sorbonne without emotion. Biot, Ballard, Regnault, and Senarmont, and it occurred to them to elect him as corresponding member of the Academy of Sciences. During a visit of the illustrious scientist Metterlich to Paris, Louis Pasteur had the pleasure of showing the results he had obtained to the German crystallographer, who thanked and congratulated him and informed him that the extremely rare racemic acid was still manufactured in Germany. At this news, Pasteur's zeal caught fire, and since it was vacation time, he set forth, in September 1852, on the pursuit of this singular substance, which had once been obtained by accident at Dunn, which had since been lost sight of, and which he was now informed was to be found at a manufactory of chemical products in Saxony. There followed a mad chase throughout the length and breadth of Germany. Louis Pasteur kept a journal of his varied adventures, which he sent to his wife, and which reveals his passionate ardor, his immense desire to possess at last this acid, which had once astonished the scientific world. The chase was a heroic one. Pasteur went from Leipzig to Zwickau, from Zwickau to Dresden, from Dresden to Freiburg, from Freiburg to Vienna, from Vienna to Prague, filled alternately with emotions of hope and despair, 
according as he thought that he had found racemic acid, or that the elusive substance still seemed to evade him. I will pursue it for ten years if need be, he wrote to Madame Pasteur. His researches, his experiments in the manufactories, his inquiries did not hinder him from visiting the museums, and here it was that the artistic side of his nature found satisfaction. In Dresden he kept a record of the paintings which pleased him, and he made notes which show the degree of his admiration for each of them. Pasteur debated the question of going all the way to Venice in order to obtain crude tartar, which contained the rare acid. But he returned to France without having made this extra journey, and very much fatigued by his long ramblings. He had convinced himself that racemic acid existed in tartar that had not been washed, and that it was to be found in the mother liquid. Hence his pursuit had not been unprofitable. Upon returning to his laboratory in Strasbourg, Pasteur undertook a task which it seemed to him would be difficult to realize, but which was not beyond his powers. He had decided that this racemic acid, which no other chemist had produced, should issue from his own laboratory. With this ambitious design he began experiments of unimagined delicacy, working with confidence, although the master chemists whom he had told of his intention believed that he could not succeed. He was destined to triumph. The magician was about to vanquish nature. In June of 1853, he announced to his father and to Bio that he had artificially obtained racemic acid. It was a splendid victory which amazed all scientists versed in the study of crystals and of chemistry. The Academy of Sciences gave prolonged attention to this discovery, and the Society of Chemistry bestowed upon its author a prize of 1,500 francs, which it had offered to anyone who could produce this extraordinary acid. With his usual disinterestedness, Pasteur spent half of this sum in the purchase of such instruments as were lacking in the Strasbourg laboratory. The government took notice of the achievements of the young scientist that were so magnificently crowned by a success which his own masters had not expected, and Louis Pasteur received the cross of the Legion of Honor when he was barely thirty years of age. End of Section 3